Hi, welcome to Olim to the Scene, where we talk to all your favorite Olim about living in Israel, their Aliyah story, politics, and more. I'm your host, Matan Goldman, and it's great to have you here. Let's begin. Welcome back to Olim to the Scene, back from hiatus, here with guest Ari Levinson in a professional studio with video. What's the studio called? It's called Co-Studio X. Uh, Co-Studio if any X. of you are any kind of content creators, producers, you're doing podcasts, any kind of social media, um, and you're in Jerusalem, um, come check us out. Uh, really great space, uh, really great community support, all that. All right. This is a new experience for me. We're usually more lo-fi, homegrown, but always happy to up the game. So, Ari, let's, uh, let's get into the, the podcast. What are your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions? Where are you from? Let's start with uh, where you're from. Well, I'm originally from uh, Lower Marion, Pennsylvania. Um, right. Matan and I grew up together. Yeah. Um, I think you are responsible for knocking out my first baby tooth. Um, I, I don't know, <laughs> but you're welcome. <laughs> I think we were wrestling, too. Yeah. But it, was all, it was all fun. Um, and then uh, spent most of my childhood in Silver Spring, Maryland, um, which point I... Uh, went to Yeshiva Kotel for a gap year, studied engineering at University of Michigan, um, and then made Aliyah about two years ago. Right. So was the plan always to make Aliyah? Like, if so, why did you go back to Michigan? And if that wasn't always the plan, why did you make Aliyah? So, um, you know, I grew up going to B'nai Kiva camps, always thinking Aliyah was a great thing, and never really saw that for myself. Yeah. I thought people who did that were really cool, but uh, that wasn't me. Then after a year at Yeshiva Kotel, um, you know, it started to influence me. I started to realize that Israel was, Israel was really the place I wanted to, to spend my life. It's really this, the center of the Jewish people. It's the center of the Jewish future, and I wanted to be a part of that. Yeah, Kotel propaganda. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, it got to me. So, but I was very committed to this whole plan to go to Michigan and um, to get my engineering degree. Um, so I never really considered dropping that. Um, that was always kind of, that was, that was set. And then the, the next, the next step that wasn't set, which was, you know, right after graduation, I was like, okay, um, I'm going to do Aliyah then. Truth is I figured I would do, I'd make Aliyah sometime within the first five years after graduating college. Right. Um, like get some work experience first. Yeah. Get some work experience, make some money, maybe get married in yeah. New York, do the whole Upper West Side thing. Right. So was, I was thinking very strongly about that. Um, and up until a few months, maybe six months before my actual Aliyah day, that was like my plan A. And honestly, the biggest thing that made me decide to come do Aliyah um, when I did, right after college and not wait, was actually thinking about the dating prospects. Yeah. Um, you know, on one hand, I was thinking, okay, there are, infinite number of, you know, young Jewish singles uh, in New York. The pool there is huge, it'd be great. But the more I thought about it, I realized that the kind of person I'd be looking for was probably already going to be here. Right. Um, and so that was the decision I made. And I, uh, well, I met my wife uh, about two months after making Aliyah. So wow. I, I would say that was a good decision. So you, you, you made Aliyah out of love. Or uh, for perspective love. love. Yeah. <laughs> Was it then difficult to, like, find work here? Because you were going to look for work in America, get that work experience, obviously make it easier to find a job here. So, like, how did that work afterwards? Yeah, so leading up to Aliyah, I was definitely looking at um, 
you know, I was looking on LinkedIn. I was trying to ask around, trying to make connections and find job opportunities. You, you know, the way it works here is like you kind of just have to get here and, and make it happen. Yeah. Like nothing's going to happen six months ahead of time, yeah. um, especially from overseas. So in the meantime, um, I had started this part-time internship with Aleph Beta. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Aleph Beta is, um, we make these animated Torah videos and podcasts. Uh, it's run by Rabbi David Foreman, um, something I've been a fan of for a long time. And for me, this was um, not really where I was intending my career to go, um, but I thought it would be a fun thing to do for the time being um, while I was able to kind of do a part-time remote thing as I was getting ready to make Aliyah and making Aliyah. And, um, I did Olpan when I first came here. And, uh, well, I'm still doing that. <laughs> right. How has that been? And I guess, like, why are you still doing that? I'm assuming the salary doesn't compare with the engineer starting salary. Yeah. I mean, so it's it's really been like a dream job. Yeah. Um, I never imagined that I would have the opportunity to, to work one-on-one with Fabi Foreman, to be yeah. involved in uh, producing actually a podcast of our own. It's called Into the Verse. Right. Number one, partial podcast. Check it out. Check it out. Um, and, yeah, I, ne- I never, uh, never thought that, I would have this kind of opportunity and, and then, you know, now it's like, well, I can't quit now because this, this is just the coolest thing ever to be doing. And, and as far as salary, truth is, you know, doing a engineering here would definitely be better. Yeah. Um, but when you're comparing an Israeli salary to an American salary, working overseas definitely is a big bump. What do you mean? A big bump down or up? Uh, uh, it, yeah. In, in other words, American, any, anything you're doing in America is going to pay more. Right. And also the standard of living here, especially for like being a religious Jew, I think uh, is a bit less than in America, especially in those central city places. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, cost of living is very high, of course. Cost of living, yeah, that's uh, um, you know, it'll it'll cost you a lot to get very little, but you're you feel a lot more uh, comfortable with that little. Right. So, I guess let's talk a little bit about uh, working for Aleph Beta, right? Like, firstly, what is Aleph Beta? We are a Torah media company. Yeah. Um, started by Rabbi David Foreman. Yeah. Who um, is Rabbi David Foreman? Rabbi David Foreman is, in my opinion, uh, the <laughs> le- le- generation's um, leading Tanakh scholar. Okay. Um, that's a, that's but a bold he's claim. <laughs> well, more <laughs> as someone who went to Gush, it's a bold claim. <laughs> um, yeah, I think what, what sets Rabbi Foreman apart is not just his. Uh, unique methodology um, and brilliance, yeah. um, but also his presentation style. Um, he got really famous uh, for alephbeta.org uh, because we started making, he started making these animated videos where he was able to take these like really complex Torah ideas um, and just make them like super simple and make them like really come to life and like engaging and exciting and it's just like, feels like you're eating candy. Right. Um, so that's, that's really what got him famous, uh, started about 10 years ago. Um, I still remember the dramatic music from watching them in yeah, high school. Yeah, have music in the background. It's like, yeah. and he's got this like amazing voice. And if you haven't seen it yet, um, yeah, definitely check out Aleph Beta. Right. Um, so I am curious before I guess we get into more like what you're specifically doing in Aleph Beta. How is it you spent four years learning engineering, and now I assume you're using none of that information. Is there any uh, any dissonance in that in that decision, or it's just all all for the best? Uh, if my parents are listening, yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm so excited to go back to engineering. Uh, but honestly, um, no, not so much. Um, I think that the, the part I love most about engineering is the creative problem solving. Yeah. 
And I think I still get to do a lot of that in my work right now with Aleph Beta. Um, a lot of, and I just get to apply that to Torah. So that part is, is I think, is satisfied. Um, and I'm trying to do things where I can use my hands, you know, on the weekends, do some, uh, yeah. you know, handiwork projects uh, to, to satisfy that little bit of an engineering itch. But honestly, I really love what I'm doing. Do you think it would have been helpful at all if you had majored in like Jewish studies or something? Or is the background that you got in yeshiva, I assume, essentially like enough for what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I think I'll, I'll always have, a, uh, at least for the time being, until I do more education, uh, some inferiority complex, feeling like, you know, I didn't go to YU and, you know, spend all morning learning for the last four years, or um, I didn't spend, I didn't do full Hezdair and spend all these years in yeshiva. Yeah. Um, but I definitely don't feel like it's holding me back. I mean, I think, you know, it was, learning was always what I was doing with uh, much of my free time anyway, so. Right. So now let's get into more specifically what you're doing in Aleph Beta. Currently, you're running a podcast. Is that how it started? They brought you in. They said, hey, Ari, we know you have great podcasting skills. Can you help us? Uh, or were you? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, no, there was this, uh, they brought me on as an intern because it was this uh, kind of side project they wanted to do in order, uh, taking some of our partial videos and kind of reframing them into some more topical uh, page, pages on the website. Um, and I've been doing that for a while. Eventually, that project was kind of put on the back burner um and i don't know i don't know who i am uh, how who or how i impress them enough to to allow me to shift more into my scholarship and content and all that right. but um yeah about a year ago I took over running our uh our weekly parsha podcast yeah and yeah it's, it's really exciting right so i in the past have released content i've written to our Torahs, i run this podcast but i've never done it for a living so i'm curious uh what what would you say are like the main challenges and the main uh, advantages of producing content as a as a job essentially so i think i'm you know i'm lucky enough to be in a position where um you know our, our view count is not directly tied to my salary yeah um i'm hired to, to do the job that i'm supposed to do and to try to try to do as, as best a job as possible um I know a lot of content creators who, you know, they're they're just a one man show. They're running a YouTube channel. They're trying to start a podcast, and they're, you know, it's all the pressure is on them doing well because if their video doesn't do well, then like they don't eat. Right. Um, so yeah, in my position, it's it's definitely a lot easier than that. There is still like a there's a bit of a, a stress when it's not all your eggs in one basket because like at least the salary part's not. But when your your entire like job is focused on something that you also are like so passionate about and really care about and have to, and you're trying to like uh, be creative in um it can it can be stressful but at the same time that really excites me you know yeah. to be able to to feel like I'm, I'm i'm doing something every day that um i'm passionate about and you know even if i'm just you know filling out spreadsheets or looking at data or whatever um that that i really care about what we're doing and yeah, I, I really love that. Right. Is your do you have like a more freeform schedule as content creation? Like is it just like when you're creative or is there like deadlines you have to be there nine to five? Uh yeah, I wish. <laughs> uh, I wish. Um yeah, my my dual word with Alfeda would be we you know, would just sit and debate me, Josh, and then every once in a while someone would right. raise their hand and be like, I have a podcast I wanna record. Yeah. Um but that's kind of how Robert Foreman works a little bit. Um 
No, it, the reality of any, uh, you know, trying to work in any business and especially trying to do a weekly podcast is you got to be really regimented and yeah. really time controlled. Um, we're, we're recording right now for Safer Bray Sheet. Yeah. Um, and like really working months ahead and very limited strict times. Okay. Like this is research time. This is preparation time. This is recording time this is editing time. Um, you know, it's re once upon a time, Alf better used to be more free flowing. Yeah. And, uh, I think you see like, if it's too free flowing, you just don't put out anything because right. there's always more you want to do always more you want to tweak. Right. You have to be able to make it a sustainable business model. So then uh, I'm also curious, right, because you're dealing with content creation, but you're also dealing with content that you like, right, Torah, that yeah. you enjoy learning, yeah. and you're supposed to enjoy learning, and it's supposed to, like, uh, take up a good amount of your time in traditional Judaism. Um, so does turning that into a job, does that affect how you view Torah and how you see Torah? Like, does do you see it less as, like, something fun and more as, like, work now, or does it, like, enhance? How does it... That's a great, great question, and and definitely something I don't talk about often. Right. Um, there are, I think, some negatives in some ways to to making this full time job. Yeah. Um, I mean, on one hand, you know, because I like what I'm doing. When I if I'm if I'm like really involved in like the research, the fun Torah part, um, then I don't want to put it down at the end of the day. I want to keep learning. I want to keep going. Right. Um, I want to do this in my free time. At the same time. I was trying to prepare something on Parshat Netzavim Ve'elach recently. And I, I love the end of the Torah. I just find it like something so nostalgic about it, yeah. like beautiful, really just like all these feelings that I feel when I read it. And just, just reading the shot, you know, as like Moshe's kind of wrapping up his goodbye speech, um, I find it to be like really powerful and emotional. Um, but, you know, the way at Aleph Beta, we're all, we're all about sharing like new insights, like creative interpretations, um, things you haven't heard before. So, you know, I'm looking at this Parsha, which I think is perfect and is beautiful on a shot level. And I'm trying to like mine it for something uh, more insightful. And yeah, there is something kind of um, negative about that experience. So I felt like it's, um, you know, if, if that was the only learning I would be doing, I think I would be really missing out. So I really try to make sure that the learning I do on my on my free time um, is is a very different kind of learning that I'm doing with Aleph Beta. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'll try to yeah. Um, and I and I even try to push myself to to give shiurim that are not in Aleph Beta style. Right. Um, like I more think, in Gemara, like. Yeah, either in Gemara, more in you know bringing in yeah more more stuff from Chazal, more Mefarshim. Like yeah, I think it's in any any time you're your creative thing then becomes your your job i think it does it is important to to find another a, a way to um to do the stuff that you love yeah. in a way that's just purely for love and not for work also yeah i was uh like before i did the podcast i was writing like a devar tour every week and the first week the first year i did parsha and the second week i did half tour because i didn't really know so many half tours love those by the way the half tour ones yeah actually I did not like the Aftor of mine. <laughs> I, by the end, specifically these Aftoras in the right before Tishabov, they just got so repetitive. It was like, why, <laughs> yeah, like they're they're all they're all the same theme. Like not all like there are nuances, obviously, but uh, it definitely 
didn't help my relation with Haftorah that I had to like write one when uh, it got to that level. So I don't like I'm not at the same level as you where I can totally empathize, but definitely uh, feel that to some extent. So where does Aleph Beta go? I guess from here, do you expand into more things? Do you expand, or do you just keep putting out Parsha and Navi and like just expand the topics? So you know, I'd uh, love to expand uh, more into Navi. Rabbi Foreman has like folders and folders and folders of research that he's done in yeah. Nach, which just hasn't seen the light of day. Mainly because um, there's just so much more demand for Chamesh uh, and for Parsha Shavua and right. for stuff around the Chagim. Um, you kind of, that's just the nature of you're trying to make this into a business. You have to, you have to give the people what they want. Um, I think, you know, dreaming big, um, and this is speaking from kind of all of it. And there's a combination, I guess, of what I would love and what, um, Rabbi Foreman and Emu, who's our CEO, uh, would love is, um, I think we'd love to start like a, like a full-time learning program. Like, uh, imagine like a, a Kolal or like right. a Yeshiva, yeshiva. um, I think I think that um and Roy Foreman would love to to bring a lot of these courses we've done and kind of coalesce them into um some like bigger structured um learning plans. You know, instead yeah. of just like here's a a fifteen minute video here, an hour video there, um, you know, make it into like here's a, you know, six month long course. Um and at the end of that you come away with not just a bunch of interesting ideas, but like a real way just to view Torah, to view the world, um, a real sense of what God's message is for me. Right. That's that's like really what we're trying to do is not just find really cool Torah, but ask the question of, well, what does this mean for me? What is God trying to tell me in, in this Torah, in these lessons I'm learning? Um, I would love to... So uh, Herzog has a uh, this uh, incredible like uh, week-long Kimei Yun in Tanakh. Yeah. Uh, here I was just at it uh, this week. I was. Um, so it so cool. Okay. So cool. Uh, where have you been before? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's um, it's just like the, the fact that it happens is amazing, and then actually going and hearing this incredible sharing from like just the most brilliant people out there, yeah. um, it's really awesome. I'd love to do that in the U.S. Right. Um, that's I haven't I haven't talked to my bosses about this yet, but maybe one day Alafeda can can be the the Herzog of the U.S. Right. Well, you heard it here first. Alafeda <laughs> Yomi Yun. Um, yeah, I think, um, and you know, make it's it's already getting to the point where it's a household name, but then yeah, I'd love to you know really just make it to to movement and stock movement. I mean, right. we've seen that in, in Israel where there's just been this explosion, this really like renaissance of Tanakh study. Yeah. Um, and I think Alafeda is positioned, in theory, to bring that to the U.S. To bring that, do you? Maybe we're getting a little too into the weeds, but do you think there might be opposition to that in the U.S., like with a uh, specific like focus on Gemara learning and uh, maybe a hesitation to view Tanakh in the same way that many Israeli scholars view it, like <laughs> kind of in a, we can criticize the figures, like they're important, they did good things and they did bad things. Do you think that would be more difficult than bringing that to America? So, um, you know, there there is definitely a lot of pushback about my foreman from the more uh, Haredi world in America. Um, you know, a lot of things he'll say are kind of radical. Yeah. Um, a lot of times we'll, we'll, you know, I want to say criticize, but critique Yavot or, or look at at least look at their look at their faults so so that we can see 
their strengths as well and, and see the way that they grow as human beings. Um, I think that, yeah, some of that there, there is pushback for, but also a lot of what we do is well, often it's actually what you could call like really supporting Amunas Chachamim because a lot of times we'll look at Midrashim and sometimes these Midrashim, they seem like they're just coming out of nowhere and they're saying something which like, you know, they say that, you know, when Paro's, Paro's daughter uh, reached her arm out or sent her, her maid out to get her Amata to get uh, Moshe from the Nile, um, that the Midrash says that Amata, the word, that her arm actually stretched out and like extended like elastic girl, right? Um, yeah. And you're like, where are they coming from? Like, what, like, okay, I get what they're trying to do with the language, the words, but like, why are they telling me this? Yeah. Um, but then you, when, when you kind of dig more into it and you start to pull back layers on the text and you see some of the patterns and the intertextuality, um, one of the incredible things you start to see like where Chazal were coming from. Um, you see that when they tell you there were uh, there were fruit trees in the Yamsu from Bnei or crossing it, that they're not just like imagining like oh there's you know uh, candy drops falling from the sky and fruit trees from the water. No, they're actually like they're connecting this back to Bereshit and all of these parallels between Yitzhak Mitzrayim and Bereshit, and um, they're tapping into some really deep things. And so, um, and to the extent that Rabbi Foreman has gained some acceptance in the Friday world, I think that that really helps is is showing that Chazal were actually even more brilliant than we could have ever imagined. Yeah, right. Obviously, there's been research like that in Israel, like Rav Maidan, I know, um, depends a lot of the Midrashim. He has some wild takes from them. Um, <laughs> I guess stepping back a bit from the, the Alaveda conversation, um, you've lived in Yerushalayim for two years now? Yeah. A little more? You've been there single, assume you've been in the dating pool, you've been there married. How, how, what, in your experience, how is Yerushalayim as a community? Yushalayim, it's a really nice community. Um, people are really incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, when I think through, like, who my peers are here, um, it's just one incredible person after another. And people who are, um, who are, who are passionate about their Judaism, um, people who are, are so value-driven. I mean, anyone who makes Aliyah in general, like, you're already taking yeah. people who are um, at least a certain amount of value-driven. And I think especially in Yushalayim, it really just attracts um, really awesome people. The community itself is, it's very wide and broad and yeah. decentralized. Um, there's like Nitzanim, which is kind of like the central show people go to, but like no one actually likes it or wants to be there. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> it depends you ask. Well, I go there, it's fun. Um, <laughs> it's, it's also, that's, it's a very, um, that show in particular, it's always out of town, people coming in, coming out. Right. Some weeks you might go there, you feel like you know everybody. Other weeks you go and like, I know two people here, right? Everybody go. Yeah. Um, that's that's very much the feel there. Um, so I've been involved in starting a JLIC in yeah. Jerusalem. Not to be confused with the kind of JLIC that you have on campus. Yeah. C now stands for city. That's the new um, the new Cha. Um, and it's, just, it's community for people just in their 20s in general. So some people who are still in college, some people who are, uh, who are far out of college. Um, and we're trying to create a, a smaller, more community feel. Um, so right now is a bi-weekly minion, a bi-weekly Beit Midrash, some events going on, we'll be doing some stuff for Tisha B'Av. Um, and so it's, it's really nice. It's starting to really feel like um, a smaller community that people can really, can really be involved in, kind of in the way that some of us were involved in campuses in the U.S. Yeah. Um, I'd say it's probably about half people who 
were who who did uh, who made Aliyah after college have people who uh, did college here? Right. So I'm in Givachmal, and we've had a JLIC there for like a while now, probably like four years, and it. I don't think it like uh, came in so smoothly, but definitely during COVID when they had like the only outdoor minion and everyone started coming, it like centralized a lot and coalesced uh, a lot more. So I am like, how, like, are you involved? How are you involved in the JLIC? Do you like help plan events? Is there a rabbi? Like what, how are they going about trying to essentially build a community? Yeah, so uh, Rob Jeremy and Emily Tibbet, yeah. uh, Simmer Tibbet, um, are the couple um, and but they're they're more of their style is more like um they're like peer leaders yeah um and they're very into like the grassroots kind of community uh, right. so that's really i think what separates this from um from like maybe the jlic at, in Givachmuel um is it's it's very grassroots um and so i'm personally involved with uh with minion um getting that going um and running that um, it's a very nice minion if you want to check it out in Yerushalayim for a round. Where is it? Um, it's run out of Ramban right now. Okay, it's fine. kind of as our, uh, where we're, we're renting some space. Um, and, but yeah, it's like, it's a, it's leans a lot on, um, you know, just community members who are really involved in, in running it and leading it. Um, and then with some guidance from the couple. Right. So Ari, we usually like to end these interviews with a couple of Rapid fire questions. Yeah. You ready? All right. Israel, really great place. Sometimes it's a little hot. If you could geographically. Physically? Yeah. Yeah. If you could geographically relocate Israel to any one place. I know you do Tanakh, Israel, the ge geography. It's really important. But if the whole story could have happened somewhere else, just maybe a little nicer weather, where would that place be and why? Probably to, to my wife's uh, hometown of uh, Bay Area, California, where it's seventy degrees every single day of the year. Okay, but like you, you like the consistency. Well, you know, honestly, <laughs> but I like the snow. Yeah. So maybe maybe Colorado. Colorado. Colorado's nice. Colorado's nice. Go skiing. Yeah. Moshe skied down the mountain <laughs> and split the sea. All right. Um, what is your favorite Hebrew song? Oh man, I don't know. Pass. Pass? <laughs> no, not even like a classic Zemmer or something. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Uh, a, a song in Hebrew. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any singer or just singing at the Shabbos table? Any singer who sings it? Yeah. <laughs> There's this guy named Akiva Golani. I think he's still at a hotel. He's been there for the last like hundred years. Okay. Who's this uh, Sephardi guy? His most beautiful voice in the world. And he's the right that he leads. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan All of right. him. Akiva, he's on Spotify? <laughs> he's definitely not on Spotify. <laughs> All right, Akiva Golan. Go to Akotel to, to check him out. Yeah. Um, who is the character in Tanakh you most identify with? Um, I very much identify with Yehuda. Um, Yehuda okay. I'm uh, named, uh, name's Ari, it's very much connected, I was named after a Yehuda, so that's yeah. very much connection there, the idea of like being a Balchuva, really connected. Ari Levinson, thank you so much for coming on Olim to the Scene. Thank you, Matan. Thank you for listening to Olim to the Scene. Recording and music are done by me, Matan Goldman. Editing and setup by Penny Silver. If you would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us by the email in the description, olimtothescene at gmail.com. Until next time.